Welcome back to another episode of This Is Your Show, a podcast for people who just need a place to vent about their issues or chat with somebody, for people who are experiencing hardship or success, a place where people can feel safe to come and celebrate their winnings, as well as ask for help while they feel they are not winning so much. I've been both high and I've been low, but what got me through both of those experiences was the people that love me and support me. If you feel like you don't have that in your life, I'm extending an invite to be your friend or just somebody to listen. Let's get started. Are you new to podcasting? Does it seem overwhelming trying to get a hold of where to start? Have you been doing it for a while and have a lot of content built up but don't have the time to edit? Fortunately, from being the executive editor for my own podcast, I have become rather efficient at it. I am offering my service to edit podcasts no matter what level your show is at. If you need a sole editor for your show or even just an extra editor on your team, please reach out to me at tylerfriedelproductions at gmail.com. I have different plans available to help an array of people in the podcast world. One thing many of us have come to realize since the lockdown due to COVID is we may be apart, but we can still connect and share ideas with each other via the internet. Let me help you get your story out there. Share with me the vision you have for your show and I will help you get it there. Wherever you are in your stages of creation, I want to help you take it to the next level. Thank you for listening. Let's get back to the show. Lynn Hyesen is a beautiful soul. I came to know her during the Six Figure Songwriting Cohort and she helped many of us learn the basic understanding of the sound frequency spectrum and how to set up our studios so we could learn to produce music from home. She even pointed me in the direction of using Zoom for my podcast because it provides much better audio. Was she ever right? She provided me with a sample of a song she recorded in Laos while attending her first live concert. That is what you're hearing in the background right now and it gives you a bit of an insight into the story you are about to hear. Being an audio expert, she is fully aware of the quality of the recording, but it provides a contrast to her outstanding work. She has started the Virtual School of Sound to help up-and-coming producers better understand the science behind sound so that they are fully prepared to make the best-sounding music possible. Lynn has traveled the world and has not only seen some really cool stuff, but she has heard even cooler things. Stuff I only hope to be able to hear and see one day. Including recording audio from the jungle waking up first thing in the morning, which you're going to hear at the very end of this episode. I was reading that little description you gave me in the email about your life, and I want to talk about that. Can you give me just a summary of all things you? Because I don't know you as well as I'd like to. No, it's... Uh... I'm 46 years old now, so lots of things happened. But I was always into music since the age of six. It was sort of natural that everyone went to music school. And I rather was in music school than at home. So I took every chorus and quartet and singing in choir and everything just to be out of the house. So all my free time was filled up with the music school and the theater school. I was not much of a, a ballet girl at all. I did some jazz dance, but... <laughs> oh, that sounds fun. Cool. But I did a lot of theater as well, and I loved that as well, like being on stage. And that's where I actually learned where you, you know, you put your dressing on or some other clothes and you just can become another person. I, I love that idea. Yes. Me too. I'm in theater as well. I, I, I do the local theater in town. 
I was in grade seven and I was in the high school drama class. I was the only junior high kid that was, they just like let me in because I had that charisma. And I, they always asked me to be like the mascot and to sing Oh Canada and all these things. I was like, yep, yep. Sign me up. I wouldn't say no to anything. I was always outgoing. And so then I got into theater and I just saw this is where I belong. <laughs> so at the age of 18, I actually wanted to go into drama school and I was not allowed from my parents. So I, I did the auditions of the musical Annie. Cool. And, um, and I was very good for the acting and for the singing, but I couldn't dance a pirouette, right? But because I sort of, something went wrong with the audition. So I said, you're going to miss out if you don't take an audition of me. And so I was put with the audition behind all the men who did the audition of all the men. And I ended up in the bar, in the restaurant with the director and the musical director of the Royal Youth Theatre of Antwerp. And then two weeks later, they were still like, you know, deciding who was who. So two weeks later, the musical director broke his leg and he just called me. Because he said, Lynn, you know, don't you want to do the sound? So I became a sound assistant for the musical Annie. And that's how I sort of got into sound. And it's, it's, it really took off from there. And then when I was 21 and I had some money put aside, I said, okay, this is a man's world, technician's world. Maybe I should get a certificate to be taken more seriously, right? So that's when I went to London and I studied sound engineering in the SAE, School of Audio Engineering in London. Not that anyone took me any more serious after that, but at least I had a certificate, you know? Yeah, well, if no one else, you took yourself more seriously, right? Exactly. And that's when I sort of, I rolled from one thing into the other, and then I started working for a big band in America, and I sold their studios, and there was another, the, the bands were in different places, and that was like the first time that even the Mac guys came over from America because they wanted to do simultaneous recording from Nice and Ireland. And I built the studio in Nice. I didn't build the studio in Ireland. And there was major problems there in that studio. So they flew me over and then I sort of came into the studio and I found this sort of stupid mistake that is really out of the box within two hours. And that's when the band said, okay. And then I just went on tour and, you know, then life evolves. And then instead of going back to Belgium after a part of an Australian tour, I said I go to um, Thailand. And then it was cheaper for me to stay four months in Thailand during the winter season or whatever, than to come back to Belgium, look for another flat. So that's how I toured the whole of Southeast Asia. And everywhere I went, I went with my DAT recorder, digital audio tape, very old, doesn't exist anymore. And, uh, and my stereo microphone, and I literally recorded everything that I found sort of interesting. Up to the point that I came into a cave in the, the northern part of Laos, where you can actually stand with one foot in China and one foot in Laos. Cool. And, and there was a cave there with like stalactites I never seen before. There were like stalactites going from the ceiling to the bottom and they were connected and they oh, cool. looked like an organ. And then I sort of ended up going back to a guest house, meeting a drummer. And I go like, wow, can we go back to that cave? Can you do drum patterns on those stalactites? Don't tell anyone. There's like 3,000 year old stalactites. You shouldn't drum on them. But we didn't, you know, we were okay. We, were, we didn't damage them or anything. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I, I went to 
several locations. I went back, like I remember I went to Cambodia to Angkor Wat and I went back at six in the morning or 5.30 in the morning just to record the waking up of the jungle, you know, and all the sounds within the jungle. So I went up, up until, you know, the, the, the temples. And I climbed one of the temples and I was sort of above the, the jungle and I was just recording there, you know, before anyone was there. Because if you want to record something, that's something. All the touristic bits are something you can't record because you've got all these other people chatting. And so you always have to go back to places at a, at a time and a place when there's no one there so you can actually do your recordings. So that was like my way of traveling. I would just go to places to record stuff in and find out the times when there was no one there, basically. Wow, how cool would that be to just sit in silence and listen to the jungle wake up? What an adventure that would have been. And so you did that for quite a few years then. You toured around and collected audio from all over the world and did audio for, for rock bands or just the one in particular? I, I worked with two big bands and, and some small theater, but I, I never mentioned who I worked for because then we got to talk about the band. That, and that's okay. No, about. that's fine. Totally fine. Totally cool. I, I interviewed James Walsh and he can't say who he's worked with, but in his description, it's like he's worked with some of the, like some of the most influential rock bands of the last couple of decades, but we couldn't say who. No, but they also make you sign an NDA. That's right. So you can't really say anything. Which is part of the gig. I totally, I totally get it, you know. And it's also like you're in the studio, so you meet their wives and their kids and everything. So you can't take pictures. You can't say anything. You, you just keep it all to yourself, which is, it's cool. Yeah, it's the professional side of things, right? Exactly. Yeah. But still, what an experience that would have been for you. And so yeah. where, did, where did that take you after that? Well, then I sort of went with my sort of shoes, like how do you call that, with my sort of positive shoes to the School of Audio Engineering in Bangkok. And I was teaching there for a year. And then in between all the holidays, I took a Thai massage course and a foot reflexology course. Cool. And a Thai cooking course. And I even did like the carving of, of the vegetables like the Chinese do as well. They make it into like art, little art pieces, you know? Yeah. So I did a little course like that as well, which is rather fun. That I still can use to impress people if I invite people for dinner, right? That's cool. Yeah, that's so cool. And then I did that and then I came back and, and I said, I, I can't live in Belgium anymore after all these years and and it was very difficult to stay in Thailand visa wise they were very strict before you could you know stay six months in Thailand no problem and then it became like 30 days and then you had to get out of the country so I said okay where is a place where there is sun and I can sort of make my base and then I ended up in Spain when I was 35 I went to Spain and I thought oh, I'm gonna be there for one or two years ended up being there 10 years and then I sort of changed my working style I did sort of the technical production manager of big shows and big events and big corporate events and then I would just go to London or Frankfurt for two weeks or three weeks but basically my my base was in Spain and I was giving people massages which was a completely different career you know but it sort of told me a lot as well because if you're talking about cabling and signal flow in the studio you've got a signal flow in your body yes you do i have my first and second levels of reiki 
So I've performed Reiki on family members and friends and myself, and I'm actually reading Chi Energy, Chi Fitness right now. So every morning when I do my, my meditation, I'm working my energy and my Chi, and I'm, I'm trying to clear out blockages and get rid of all the resistance because it's just like electricity, right? Exactly. And it's also that you have the feeling like once you learn something from this, you know, you want to know more. You know? Oh, yeah. You just want to dive in <laughs> head first. And it's endless. It's endless. Oh, I know. It never, ever, ever stops. And it's funny because I was just saying here the other day, about a decade ago or so when I broke my back was when I first went through all of that. I was going through Reiki and everything like that. And I was, I was trying to live one life, but I was living a completely different life. And I was grounded. I broke my back. I couldn't walk. I was completely grounded. And it really forced me to look within and I did a lot of self-help research and stuff like that and then I felt great for a year or so and then it just tapered off like because I didn't keep it up I didn't keep up the work right and I just said tapered off tapered off and then uh, we started the cohort and it was like a spark just lit back up inside of me and things had just been going with the flow every single day ever since yeah once you're in there you go from Chinese uh, medicine, like nutrition, you know, it's so interesting. And when, when you know, Eckhart Tolle brings you to whomever. and I love him. Yeah. The Power of Now was the book that put me on the path. He was on Oprah and they read a chapter every episode or something. And they were, it was already a two-year-old series. And I found it and I, they read the book to me and he explained it all. I'm like, wow, my mind was just exploded because... He is a, yeah, he's a wonderful human being. Eckhart Tolle. I, mm -hmm. I, you know, I love to do his meditation. And especially now when I'm so sort of focused on everything I'm doing now, my head keeps on rattling. Then I just take Eckhart Tolle's like meditation in the evening and I know that he will make me sleep good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like he's mine. It's yeah. mine, Eckhart Tolle. You just keep him in your back pocket. <laughs> No kidding. He's, he's next to my pillow, you know, talking to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Now, it, it definitely helped. I mean, you've, you've been through some health stuff too. I had read in your story there. I w I'm not sure how much you wanted to get into that, but meditation is what got me through a, a lot of that being laid up and unable to walk and such. And so I know you can probably relate to that as well. There's just so many things that we have in common, you and I. Yeah, it's when you sort of get sort of, um, I just confronted in 2014, um, actually in the be at the end of 2013, um, my heart was doing very strange. And it was going to the point that I was sitting on a chair and my heart was racing and I thought like, this is not okay. And I, it, it sort of happened like the year before, I went to a normal cardiologist and of course it doesn't happen when, when it needs to happen, right? So... Then in December 2013, then actually my osteopath went like, what you are telling me is more of an electrical problem. You need to go and talk to an electrophysiological cardiologist. And I came with him in the room and I told him like what was happening. And he said, okay, can you sort of, can you make it happen now? And by that time I sort of knew what I needed to do. I needed to bow forward like a couple of times and it would set it off. And my heart would go to 230, 250 beats a minute. Wow. And he said, okay, you're not leaving the country. I came back to Belgium for that. You're not leaving the country until we get 
And it's actually, it was four people from Holland and it was a whole team that needed to come together because if I would have had that problem five years earlier, I would have died because they didn't know what was happening. And, you know, these are the people that sort of dropped dead on the football field, right? So I was very lucky and I'm, I'm still, every time I see him and, you know, he's my savior. My cardiologist is my savior. He took all my savings, but there you go. <laughs> I'm still alive. You're still here to tell the story. And then he, he did the operation in January 2014, like two weeks after I saw him. And then they sort of noticed that my sinus button, which is actually the, the how would you say that, the spark that makes your heart go a certain way. My sinus button is way too big for my heart. So even during my nighttime, I would run marathons with what explained why I was always so tired, right? Yeah. So, and then they tried to sort of make that sinus button a little bit smaller, but it took like four uh, operations because there is also the nerve or of your membrane that makes you go and breathe and makes it all go up and down. So actually the, uh, the last hard operation they actually went in from underneath my armpit and they flattened my right lung so they could reach the heart from the outside and then they could take that sort of nerve aside and burn my sinus button smaller oh wow but with that operation they flattened my right lung and it never sort of came back fully so now my lung capacity is only like 60 percent of what it used to be oh lynn so, but I'm still alive and, you know, now I finally sort of, you know, I sleep normal. I have a normal heart rhythm, you know, so wow. happy, happy for that. And, you know, I just saw him two months ago during the cohort and um, he actually called me like, Lynn, you have to come and sit on the bicycle and do your thing again. And, uh, and it was the best, uh, how do you say that, test I've ever done. And I was actually able to do 250 watts, like bike 250 watts, which I never could have done before ever. So. Wow. So there's, yeah. there's uh, you made improvements. That's good. Exactly. And I'm still alive. And that's what is because before all these operations and probably you had the same, you have to sign a paper, like what to do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No. There's a lot of paperwork. <laughs> non-resuscitating I, I think they call it yeah it's called the the do not resuscitate dnr yeah. right that that's so, if you're yeah if you're at that point like say you're dying of cancer and you're like look if i go just let me go and that's what you know they make you think about that and and that sort of you know from that point onwards i think like okay i'm just gonna be who i'm gonna be and i'm just you know gonna do what i want to do and I'm not going to listen anymore to all the you have to's, you have to, you have to, you have to, you have to, you know, like now I'm definitely choosing for myself because God, I've been very lucky. So. Yeah. Good for you. And that must open up a whole new perspective for somebody having to be faced with so many choices like that, like trying to like the doctor having to say, look, it's not a comfortable topic to talk about, but we have to discuss about the possibility of, you flatlining on the table. I couldn't imagine having that conversation. I mean, they, they did a spine surgery on me and they said, yeah, the anesthetic can affect people some ways, but I wasn't really at a risk for that. This is heart surgery. That's a big deal. Like, that's a, that's a big one. So 
kudos to you for still smiling and encouraging and inspiring people. It's just, it's, it's phenomenal because so many will take that and play the poor me card. I did it when I was down and out and I couldn't walk. I blamed everybody and I just treated people like garbage and the medication didn't help either, you know, just turns you into a different person, but to have an outlook on life like you do after enduring something like that, that's really inspiring to me. Yeah, but it's, it's like a second chance. You're not gonna, you're not gonna screw up your second chance, are you? you Some know? people do though. Like I, I've known, I know a guy that lost his arm in a, in a drinking and driving accident. And then 15 years later, he died drinking and driving. And so some people don't take that second chance as seriously as they should when they've been given life another time, you know? And so I, I've never been in that position, so I don't know how hard or easy that would be, but you would think you being given a second chance with life, that would open up a whole new perspective on, on everything. I know it would for me. I guess it was scary for you as well, because if you do operations like that, there is a chance that you can't walk anymore. That's you know? correct. Yeah. And it was so close to my spinal cord, right? And then my second injury they haven't operated on. So it's a herniated disc above the one that was operated on, but it herniated inward into the spinal canal as opposed to outward touching the nerve roots and stuff. Well, I guess they're touching the nerve roots on the inside too, but it's just a mess. That's a complete mess. But um, I remember but the it, day. Isn't it funny that like now you know everything about spinal cord? Like, yeah. just says like you should actually be teaching my students because you know so much about the heart now. It's like if you're confronted with something and you study about your own body, right? Because you want mm -hmm. to know what you're going to do to it, you know? That's and right. what the consequences are. So it's like you get like a spinal, like a, like a crash course, yeah. <laughs> you know? And it's funny because I'm 36 and all my friends are around the same age as me and they're all developing sciatica and they're like, oh, I got this thing. Like when your back started doing its thing, I'm like, it's sciatica, man. Do these stretches. I get, well, I don't know. I think it's something worse. Like, cause it, when, the, when something touches a nerve, holy crap, like it feels like you're being cut in half. You jump, right? You, Yo, jump, and well, you couldn't uh, jump anymore. You couldn't jump, but uh, like <laughs> when something even just brushes a nerve, it causes excruciating pain and the beginning stages of sciatica feel like you're going to die. Right. And people are like, oh, but it's like all down my back and my leg. I'm like, yeah, that's that's it. I crushed my sciatic nerve when I did that. And so you like, feel that every day, every right? day, all day, every day, because now it's affected both legs. At, at first it, in 2013, it was only my right leg. I couldn't feel my right leg from my hip to my toes. It was completely dead. And then they brought back some sensation and, and mobility. But I can't do I can tiptoe on my left foot, but my right foot, I can't even flex the muscles in it. There's I'm like, just do the tiptoe already. <laughs> and I can't. So, and my right leg is three quarters of an inch skinnier than my, my left one. Um, yeah. It's, I, I always have to laugh when old people say like, you don't know what it's like, not, you know, that you're limited. And I go like, I know very damn well what it's like yeah. to be bloody limited, but they, you know, they see me as this joyful blonde girl and, and that's it. That's all they see. Right. Because. <laughs> yeah. They don't know the underlying story. But exactly. it, goes, it goes to show, I mean, if a mindset is everything, if you, if you choose that you're going to overcome, you will. And even if it starts small, it's take the wins where you can. Another thing you'd mentioned too, and not now, like this is entirely up to you, but you'd mentioned your mom has Alzheimer's. Yes. That's, that's the reason I came back to Belgium. I, I felt as well guilty that I haven't really been around here since what, when I was 20 sort of, 
So it's like before she doesn't really recognize me anymore, I better go home. And, and it was just in timing. It's like universe, right? Because the apartment I was renting in Spain was owned by an Irish guy. He didn't pay the bank. So the bank was taking over the apartment. So it's all like universe sort of tells you where to go. You know, you had to go. And I had 10 years being in the same apartment. Don't forget before those 10 years, I always lived out of backpacks on tour and in Asia, it was like, and my whole life was in cardboard boxes. Like I need my winter box or I need my summer box. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I remember the first two years in Spain, I was so happy. Like I've got cupboards, I've got cupboards for everything. And that's when I also started cooking because I had cupboards and I could buy stuff and I made tarts and cakes for everyone who wanted. <laughs> and it's like leaving that apartment was the hardest thing I ever done because it was like, I never stayed in a place longer than four months, six months, whatever. So I came back here and found that my mom was actually way further in her process of Alzheimer's than because seeing someone on the WhatsApp video, you don't see what's really happening to her body and the rest. And I don't want to go into details, but it's That's okay. It's um, yeah. And now she's, it was very weird when I came back home there were so many things unorganized that I sort of organized and then the nurse would come every day now to wash her and to take care of her body. And so that's sort of all settled now. And um, I sort of taught my dad how to cook and cook simple things and make his life simpler mm -hmm. because he was doing things still in an old, very old fashioned ways. And I go like, yeah, there is lasagna, dad. You just put it in the oven. You know? Yeah. Set it. Forget it. <laughs> And now he loves spaghetti because spaghetti only takes three or four minutes to cook, right? To boil. Yeah. As where before he didn't like sort of spaghetti. He was a potato guy. Anyway, so I taught my dad a little bit to cook and, and sort of reorganized the house and took a lot away of the things that's not really necessary. And there was like food that was over time in the cupboards for eight years. So I think my mum was already going backwards way before, but mm. if you don't see it and if you don't live there, you don't really know. So. You don't really know, yeah. And see, my, my mom uh, is undiagnosed, but she has all the signs and I've done like questionnaires and I've tried to send them to her because she's still coherent, but then she has her bad days where she is convinced she's being stalked has been for decades is convinced that when she can't find something in her house, somebody's come in and stolen it. And so somebody continuously breaks into her house, walks past her cause she sleeps on her couch, not in her bedroom. Doesn't take her car keys. Doesn't take her cell phone. Doesn't take her purse. Doesn't steal her TV. Doesn't take anything, but they'll go right past her into her room and go through all her photo albums and they'll remove a photo of me from when I was a kid. Does that make any sense? Right. And so I'm like, mom, you have to realize that you're misplacing things. It's not somebody stealing it from you. Please fill out this questionnaire because I did it on your behalf. And you, she has, Oh God, she's got like six out of the 10 signs of Alzheimer's. And so we've tried, we've contacted the, the health, clinics and her doctors and what do we do and there's nothing we can do because she hasn't put herself in harm's way yet so we're sitting here waiting for the day that something bad happens which is really angering to me because the whole family knows my mom is sick and we've all made attempts to try and reason with her but in her mind 
it's offensive when you say, Hey, maybe you should see a doctor because of the things you're saying and whatnot. Right. And I could only imagine how confusing that is for someone who, especially, you know, like, like our moms, like they, they were in control of everything. Like they're our moms, they're the leader of the, the matriarch. And for them to lose that ability to have control over simple things must be so frustrating. And it, has put such a wedge between my mom and I because when we do speak to each other somehow she resorts to me being not her son you're not my son everything I do and say is something her son wouldn't do or say so she doesn't think I'm her son right like she recognizes me as Tyler Friedel but she's like that's not the son I raised kind of thing and it's like well I am 100% the product of the child that you raised like I am exactly who you raised and, you know, trying to reason with her about my drug addiction and stuff and saying, look, mom, drug addiction forms in childhood and we fill a void that is created in childhood. But to her, it was, there's no way it's not my fault because I didn't allow drugs in my house. Okay. Like that means absolutely anything to a drug addict. Do you know what I mean? And so that's my journey right now is, is finding my own closure because my dad's gone. And my mom is there sometimes, but it's a hundred percent of the time when we speak, it's only within five minutes. She's telling me that just mean, mean things. I don't need to get into it, but she just says, says mean and hurtful things that I know aren't her, but it's like, geez, I can't even reason with you. So how do I process this? How do I even show up at your house and deal with this when we're like, she's grabbed me by the throat with her nails before, you know, like it's, it's a hard situation. Because I miss oh, my she mother. lives alone? Yes, in a manor. She, li- she lives in a manor with a bunch of senior people, but they have like a monthly nurse that comes in and just, how are you feeling? But it's not someone who shows up at their door and here's your medication for today. Let's take your blood pressure or anything like that. And that's what we want is for her to be in like a monitored living situation. And the closest that it's ever come, she was using her crock pot and left the cord leaning up against the crock pot and it melted through and it, arced out and blew the power in the whole building and she phoned and was blaming the building for being too old and said I'm phoning my landlord's brother he's an electrician I said well if this is a death trap like you're claiming it to be you should phone the fire department and so it's just a real hard situation and so I I give you mad props because it's not easy to watch someone you have developed your own personality by watching like our parents are exactly the model of who we are we wouldn't have learned to walk eat breathe sleep or anything talk without watching every single thing our parents did and as soon as you see that change the children are the first one to notice like i I was just having this conversation with a friend yesterday kids aren't dumb they watch their parents they learn from their parents and when they see that change they know it's there and so there's no denying that something has gone on with my mom it's trying to get her to realize and come to terms that it's time to get help for it with me it's actually a little bit different in terms of my mother was very tough woman very tough that's why i always wanted to be in you know music school and theater school to get away from her and she was very aggressive very aggressive person. So I got hit a lot. We got hit for any stupid reason. As where now she's just this very, it's actually a little bit, I don't want to say the word plants, but you know, she just sits there. Everything is good. Everything is okay. She doesn't really have an opinion anymore. So, so actually for me now, it's easier to go around with her 
although you know she she doesn't cook anymore she doesn't do nothing anymore for the last i think two years so my dad does everything and it's actually more my dad we need to convince that she needs to go sometimes into uh into a home but uh the same the same uh, situation there i think she really needs to burn the house down or do something like that before my dad will realize that okay now it's time that she cannot be alone so every time he goes out with his walking club or whatever i go there and uh, i go babysit my mom it's like mm-hmm. very bizarre to say that but it's true yeah, the tables have turned, right? And there isn't a day that goes by where that doesn't pass through my head. And as much as my mom may think that it doesn't, it's a daily struggle for me because I either dream of it or I wake up and it's and I just start thinking about my mother because for years now, like she got cancer in 97. And so she slowly started to kind of slip away after that. And so, yeah, for years, I just, I haven't had that solid conversation with my mom that I miss and it's a daily thing. And man, I battle that every day. Like, do I, do I call her today? Do I reach out to her today? And like, I go to bed crying, like I'll wake up with tears. Like you're ignoring your mother. She's suffering. She doesn't know who she is sometimes and all of this stuff. Right. And then my ego gets in the way and it's like, but every time you talk to her, she says she doesn't need you in your life and that you have no value to her life and, and that you're a liar and that you're not her son and blah, 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 blah. So it's such a freaking battle trying to make that connection again when part of that signal is like, like we were talking earlier, that signal is just completely cut off. So it's, there's no way of getting that message back and forth. I think the most important thing is that I don't take anything what she says very hard anymore, even if she's very frank and she can be very frank still, but, um, but at least I'm doing everything in my way, in, 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 with my energy, with everything I have and I can to give her the last couple of very nice years in her life. Mm-hmm. And um, we are with three kids. I'm the youngest of three sisters. And the other two are not really caring whatsoever. They're not in the picture. Mm. So, but I know that for my heart, and I think this is a very important thing for you as well, like for your heart, you just need to know that you are doing whatever you can within your power and within your belief what you can do for her. And that whenever she will die eventually, because we're all going to die. Correct. That, that you can say to your heart, like, I've been there. I've done what I could in my possibilities, in my timing, in whatever. And then you can let go. And they have this Oponopo, you've heard from this? It's a song. No. Look it up. And it's like, it's like a way in Hawaii, how they say goodbye to people and forgive people for whatever is still in between. And right. it's a way to let people go Oponopo. Okay. Look it up. It's very interesting. I will. And it's a song? You said it's a song and it's a way of thinking and it's a like way a of mantra? dealing oh. with forgiveness, even towards people that maybe, you know, I don't have that, but maybe there's really a bad person in your life who really hated and who did something really bad to you. If you can sing that song and, and go with that feeling and with the thought, like, you know, I forgive you, whatever has ever happened, you can let go and it works. You can let go. And it's a Hawaiian uh, ritual. I will do some Google searching and, and research that because I, that's all I'm doing now. I'm reading a successful coaching book. I, I bought it a couple of years ago and it, for a dollar. 
and it's used by the Olympics and like the American sport education program. They use this book to test coaches before they become a, a legitimate coach. And what I'm learning right now is self-awareness, right? You can't create a philosophy and encourage young athletes or whatever it may be to do anything positive if you yourself aren't aware of the conflicts within yourself. And so I filled out a questionnaire yesterday about how I view myself, how I think people view myself and how I really know I am and trying to figure out how to make those discrepancies collaborate better with one another is what I'm learning right now. And so, like you said, learning to let those things go is something that is definitely an ongoing battle for me. My sister's the same. She, she says the same stuff to me, like, you know, Tyler, you got to pick your battles with mom because what she says isn't necessarily what she means, but she's so convincing in the fact that when she says something like that and you call her on it, she is my mom. She will stand up for what she said. And it, it's like, wow, you're here. Like, this is you. This is absolutely 100% who you are. You're standing up for what you believe in. But what you're standing up for is completely left field. But this is who you are. That You're standing up for yourself. And she's got that personality that everybody remembers. But she's standing up for something that makes no sense whatsoever. And so it's just like, wow, do you really mean what you just said to me then? And that's where it really impacts me is because it's, she's so convincing and that, no, I, I'm not losing my mind. And what I'm saying is what I want to say. And so that leaves me going, well, holy shit, like my mom doesn't like me. <laughs> you know, there's things like yeah. that, that that go through my head that I battle with on a daily basis. And I know that it's not who she is. I know that's not, I'm her baby. Like I'm her youngest. Right. And so I know deep down that she loves me with all her heart and that's all she wants. Right. But, but if you think about it, like 30 years ago, you were sometimes not always, but everyone is a naughty kid, right? I was. And you say, <laughs> I certainly was when I was six. So, Let's put that out there. <laughs> so you see, you say things when you were four, five, six, seven, and Maybe you said one day, I hate you, mom. I did, actually. I remember the day and where I was, and I remember getting so, slapped. I remember. Now you, now you know how, you know, she was feeling. Now you're feeling that. And it's because you're her child that she went like, he doesn't mean that. He doesn't mean that. He's only seven. Right. And that's, that's the way you need to go around that. And don't get me wrong, her and I have had these really open conversations where we've, we've cussed each other out. And then the very next day, it's like, look, that was kind of overboard, don't you think? You know, and she's like, oh, I don't worry about that. The, that's how you and I get along. But I don't want that to be how we get along. I, I want her to come and spend a weekend with me and not end up with me kicking her out of my house because she'll go through my shit. She will. She's just, she, I don't know. The, the last time she spent time at my house, she came for a couple days and packed enough for seven. She had totes in her car, like moving in, mom, like you're moving in. <laughs> and it ended up where she and I were screaming at each other in the kitchen and my kid was crying on the front steps outside. And I'm like, mom, like, I just, we can't have this in my house. I have to ask you to go. You've overstayed your welcome. You've pushed it way too far. You've moved right on in. And she takes that control aspect. Like I'm still your mother. Well, uh, this is my house and I pay for it. So yeah, you're my mom, but you're overstepping your boundaries and it's my house to ask you to leave now, right? So it's, it's, it's nuts. And we all know that there's something there. It's just, like you said, you get, something drastic has to happen before that is taken seriously. And that's the stigma I wish would just drop. But that's what I'm afraid of as well. 
is that my there's gonna be a telephone coming yeah one day and now my dad is still alive and they want to die both of them want to die in the you know in the house and it's still from the very old generation they were born during the war so they want to die in their house but we all know that one day and we you know i was talking to my older sister i and i made her she's six, six years older than me and i said like let's hope that dad will survive her because if dad dies we have a major problem because my dad is very loose he's very intelligent he's you know 80 as well but he's very good so i'm not worried about that but if he would die then we have a major problem and it's like awareness as well i remember the awareness i had when i was 35 and the awareness I have now, 10 years later. And it's like, just be able to just breathe, count to 10, don't go there. Yeah. Just let it go. Redirect, absolutely. But that's yeah. an awareness that grows and every 10 years, and I bet when I'm 55, I'm gonna have the same talk to you and say, wow, I thought I was aware when I was 45. That's right, and it's forever expanding. It never stops because like Kathy was saying, you just keep pushing your thresholds, you kept pushing your, your borders, and then once you're there, it's like, okay, well, can I just step over that border a little bit farther and see how, how, where I can go with that, and so that's been me. I, I have come to a strong realization that all of these things I've discussed today, like I know they're a deep down issue inside of me and they've caused a lot of like my addictions and, and things like that. And so that is precisely the journey I am on is to try and figure out the who, what, when, where, why, and the how of this situation, because I feel like, you know, it's me and my sister and my relatives and whatnot too. But yeah, it's a, uh, not an easy one to deal with, but every day goes by. And, and I'm trying to recondition and redirect. Like I was saying, you have that option to take your reactions to things and reassess why it is that you act that way. And when it comes to my mother, I know why I act the way that I do. And, and the easiest solution at this point is to cut off my communication because that seems to be the cause of it all at this point. And it's just, a, it's not easy. Give a big smile, breathe, count to 10, Absolutely. let it go mm -hmm. and start talking about the very nice flowers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And once you've done that once and then you can do it two times and mm -hmm. then you can do it three times. And after 10 times you say like, yes, that's right. I can do it. it becomes I'm natural. That, I'm not going that way anymore. You know, I'm not giving my energy in this wrong way. You mm -hmm. know, I'm keeping my good energy. I'm breathing and I'm talking about something positive, something nice, whatever. Yeah. And it sounds bullshit, but it's really, you know, once you pass that sort of mm -hmm. ledge. Break through that wall or the barrier. Yeah. yeah. I think I learned the last two weeks with putting up the school is like my inner critic doesn't get a lot of space anymore. And that's all due to Kathy, right? Yeah. And it's like pushing him away, the inner critic, pushing him away. And it's really hard in the beginning. But I can tell you now, after two weeks, the inner critic, he doesn't get any space anymore for me. No way. And mm -hmm. I showed myself, he didn't get any space the last two weeks, right? So I'm not going to give him any space, not a centimeter he's going to get. Mm -hmm. And it works. It really it does. works. It does. And as much as that ego or, or that negative self-talk will try, the second you realize it, you're now aware of it. Right. So it, it may be bound to happen, but it's what you do with it. 
right? And, and going, oh, shoot, I'm thinking negatively. Well, now I'm aware of that situation and now I'm in control. My negative self-talk is no longer in control of the situations. And so, yes, being aware of that and recognizing when you're in that funk, you have the right to take action and make the change. And it works. Like you said, it, it, works, works. it works, it works. Before we continue, let's take a moment to thank my sponsor. Wait a minute, I don't have any yet. It's tricky to get this sponsor thing figured out between the US and Canada. I started to wonder, how can I be my own sponsor? What can I do for you? I am a lover of customer service. How can I make this a win-win-win? What do you need that I have? Maybe you're feeling lost or disconnected from the people in life that matter to you. Maybe you're missing the celebrations of everything life or even death. Maybe I could help you bridge that gap. A song designed to say exactly what you wanna say in the way you wanna say it? A song just for that person or occasion? A custom I love you song? Especially now since the ways in which we connect with each other have been turned upside down, a song could really bridge that gap. What if you could reach the people you love and say I love you, I'm proud of you, congratulations, happy birthday, happy anniversary, congratulations on your wedding. Or maybe you need a first dance song inspired by the love that brought you to your special day. I would love to help you with that. My heart, my voice, my musical skill, my love for customer service, my love of people makes us the perfect fit to make this happen. You tell me who, what, and why with an interview and off we go. You get a custom song to tell that person how much they mean to you. Imagine the smile when they hear their song. Imagine the warm feeling you'll have knowing that you brighten somebody's day. You win because you get to do something special for someone you love. They win because they get to know how much you love and care for them. I win because I get to do something I really love that I'm good at and be my own sponsor for this podcast. Together we can roll into this new reality with compassion, caring, and fun. Please contact me at tylerfriedelproductions at gmail.com. If you would have asked me six months ago, Lynn, you're going to set up a virtual school of sound, you're going to teach again, you're going to do it all from home. And I would have told you like, nah, that's nothing for me. You know, I'm not a, an office girl. I'm not a computer girl like that. You know, I, the only reason I use a computer is to make music and write mails. So that's very exciting for me to start up the school. And I've got like, today I've got like three people enrolled again. Good for you. Yeah, so it's really working and I'm, I'm really thrilled and it's a new beginning. So definitely, I think for you, for many people of this course, it's, it's a new, new road, new beginning, new direction. Mm -hmm. Even though we have COVID and everything else, mm -hmm. I think it's, it's very nice to see everyone grow that way. And it's also, I think I never had motivators around me. And to look at you and to look at all these other people, you know, starting up something new, it makes me, makes you want to do it as well and take the big leap. And I think that's amazing that people, you know, you always think it's your family or your friends that are going to support you, right? No, it's actually people in America I've never, ever met before who are my biggest supporters. That's what I am finding too. And like I said, 
uh, maybe I can't afford it today. And man, if the universe is listening, allow this to happen. But I mean, who knows by tomorrow, I may have more than enough funds to pay for all of these things that I want because I'm doing what I love as well. And I'm putting together my own program and I'm in my podcast in the middle, I have that ad and it's like, look, I will make a song for you or an ad or a commercial. So anything is possible because just as much as we convince ourselves things are not possible, they haven't happened yet. So why isn't it just as possible? Right? And so I, I am accepting that as my reality because it's happening for you. It's happening for Nick, happening for Cinder. It's happening for so many people. And I know we're all rowing this boat together. Yeah. And that's it. You know, you feel like you're, you support it. You're like really push it. People are pushing you and people are giving you like, um, I was, I, I never did PowerPoint presentations, you know, and I sent like a basic thing and, and to Jackie and like 10 minutes later, she sends me something back, which is amazing. And it's like, she's really good in that, right? I'm really bad in that, you know? I never done, it's like, this is the very first time I opened the program PowerPoint on my computer ever. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> so it's amazing how all people can help each other and help each other's talent. It's like, you know, and I love that. And I never had a community like that. It's mostly envy, envy and jealousy here in yes. Belgium. And that, you know what, to be honest, when everything started, when people started pitching out their songs in the first couple of months or like the Mentor Mania package, it's like, wow, how did you take those sounds and make that cool of a song? And there was that, that artistic envy where it's like, oh, you know, welcome. I couldn't do that. But it ended up dying. That whole feeling ended up dying off because like you said, the support that's in this community everyone understands that you may not be the expert. So reach out to the one who is and everybody help each other get across that finish line. It's such a cool experience. And I'm not a singer songwriter, right? I've only amplified artists. I've never been the artist. So I'm still working on that. And, and I hope, you know, like, okay, this school is taking all of my time, literally at the moment. But I hope in, in future, I will make more songs and I will sort of collaborate with you know, and I will learn a lot and, and will be able to teach, you know, to make, to make very good songs myself. Mm -hmm. It's there. I'm still really way behind of you all guys, you know, but it doesn't intimidate me at all. It gives me like, okay, I've got so many people to tap into. So people to talk to, even if I can't sleep, America's awake. I can always talk to America. Exactly. I'm never, I'm never alone ever. Yeah. I know it's a cool feeling like with Ari, he's nine hours ahead of me. And so it's really cool because he'll go to bed and then be up in the morning and it's about 11 here. So it's like, I'm still up till like two in the morning anyway. So in his morning, it's bright and early morning for me, but we can still talk to each other and nobody's tired or whatever. It's really neat. There's that little window of opportunity for both and you can really burn the candle at both ends this way when you're collaborating with people in different time zones because i can send you stems and you can wake up in the morning and do something with them and vice versa it's really cool and by the time you wake up you've got some results exactly yeah, and so two people at two opposite ends of the world can really get a lot of stuff done with each other it's amazing i love it so much i feel like people ask me like yeah and this whole COVID thing and don't you feel alone i say feel alone <laughs> <laughs> it's been the best six months of my life really I've to be never, honest 
I've never had so many messengers like today I've been calling and, and oh, it's, it's incredible. When I was living in Spain, I was, you know, I was having my clients and stuff, but it was very limited. And now I've got like so many people that are calling and, you know, just the Facebook and what everyone's doing. And it's like people going live and ping, mm-hmm. ping, 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 ping. And it's like, there's always something happening. Yeah. I think it's great. I do too. I do too. And I just, uh, I love how everybody is, uh, everybody's finding themselves and they're figuring out what it is that they love and they're turning that into their day job, their passion. And it's, it's a whole new era that we're entering and we are pioneers. I keep saying this, we are pioneers for some really cool shit that's about to go down because this has never happened in the whole history of our planet, the whole world shutting down at the same time and a bunch of people working at home via an electronic network. It's perfect. The amount of artists and creation that's going to come from this period of everybody being at home with the time to actually focus on what it is that truly makes them happy. It's unprecedented, that's for sure. Well, we can say we were there. Yeah, that's right. So back in history, about 2020 was the year that everyone was walking around in a mask. And this cohort of 366 people all came together and changed the world. Because next year, once everyone's making placements and stuff like that, our cohort is one of a kind. Because we're the first ones to go through all of that. And we didn't get to see each other in person. But once they open them borders and everyone gets to meet, holy cow. I was, I was actually listening yesterday to Kathy because she's done a five-day challenge and yesterday was the first day again. And it's like, it took me back from when we first did it, right? And it's not that I knew what she was going to say, but I knew what she was going to say, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, it's like, and, and now you, you listen back to it, you have a completely different understanding. You go, yeah. I'm doing it. Yeah, yep. I'm doing it. Yeah, I'm doing it. And then you think back on, I think back on the little Lynn who was listening to the same thing six, seven months ago. And then I look at myself and I go, wow, I've grown five inches. Yeah. And I'm so excited for this next six months because I'm doing Arrive, Kathy's Arrive that I was sponsored for. And that takes me up to the one year mark from when we started six-figure songwriting so I will actually get to look back and be like wow two courses over the last 12 months both engineered by the same human being and it just keeps propelling my life further and further and further and further and I can't wait till February rolls around once this arrive thing has come to its completion because I'm learning a lot of cool stuff through it as well and it's about doing my own five-day challenges or my own pitches and stuff like that and to how to really uh, make it same thing that you're doing with your program. Like, I can't wait to learn what you know. I know that you have all the things I need to know inside your brain. And I cannot wait to just dive into that because I'm going to. I know that I will because you wouldn't have crossed my path if I wasn't meant to learn what you know. So you got to save so much time. Yeah. Oh, I know. I can't wait. Because, you know, like people are saying, yeah, and it took me so long. And it's like, what? If you know how to EQ a vocal, you can EQ a vocal in like, I had to do it in live performances in 30 seconds. Yeah, on the fly, exactly. So if you know the rules and the definitions and what is sort of supposed to be happening in the frequency spectrum, you know the rules. And then, you know, it's the same as basketball. You know, you know, you can go like this or like that, or you can dribble and you can go like this, but you know how to do it, right? Mm -hmm. So you can just try the two, three ways you want, and it sounds good two minutes past. Okay, you recute a vocal. You don't need more than two minutes. 
put some compression on it, make a stem, five minutes later, send it back. That's it. Get it done. Yeah. That's what I need because that's what I get hung up on. It's like, I have a great idea and then I get so far and it's like, I don't know what to do now. And I wish I did. And so. It's also because people layer and layer and layer without realizing that they put like, imagine a rainbow, right? Mm -hmm. You've got a red, imagine you have a red sort of marker that's that big mm -hmm. and you put red and then you put orange and then you put yellow and you put it all in the same place, it right? It gets muddy and gross yeah. looking. So yeah. no, you need to, there goes the red, there goes the orange next to each other and it all fits together and that's how you become a rainbow, right? And it forms one solid image. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So if someone just tells you where to put the red and where to put the orange and how to do it, easy peasy. Easy peasy, exactly. What a connection. I am so glad to have met Lynn and to have heard her story, and I absolutely look forward to learning from her in the future. The more I seek to connect with new people, the more I find in common with the world. Lynn mentioned a Hawaiian mantra called Ho'oponopono. A definition I found on Google says it is an ancient Hawaiian practice for forgiveness and reconciliation. It's more than the prayer alone. It's a process of making things right in your relationships with others, ancestors, deities, the earth, yourself. Special words are exchanged, emotions are revealed, and forgiveness flows both ways. Isn't that the truth? What I'm coming to learn through my readings as of late is that we are all one, and that if we decide to let our predeterminations take a back seat for a minute, we can actually find forgiveness for the things that are holding us back, as well as forgiveness towards ourselves allowing us to move forward in our lives. Our souls love to provide us with repetitive situations that may seem annoying, but what is really happening is we are being given multiple opportunities to heal ourselves within our minds, our hearts, our bodies, and our spirits. Thank you for listening to This Is Your Show. I am Tyler Friedel, and I will talk to you soon.